Thank you, Brother Tim, and thank you all for being here today. Thank you, Derek, for that great song. Thanks to everyone for being here today, and those who are listening over the internet, welcome to all of you from across the nation. So glad to see all of you here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I once did a mission trip in Miami, in an area of Miami called Little Haiti. And I later years later went on a mission trip to Haiti itself but while I was in little Haiti I met a pastor a wonderful godly man and I was interested in his name because he introduced himself to me is uh, David Legrand well if you know any French at all you know that means the big devil and so when I questioned David Legrand about his name I said brother David can you explain that to me he said well when I was born he said, my grandfather was a witch doctor and he named me after Satan, after the devil. So I've used it all these years by saying, the devil may have my name, but Jesus has my heart. I like that. And he was a legitimate, serious follower of Christ. A reporter once asked Mother Teresa, who are you really? To which she answered, she said, well... I was born in Albania. My citizenship is India. She said, my denomination is Catholic. My calling is to the whole world, but my heart belongs to Jesus. Where is your citizenship? How would people who ask you who you are, how, what would they hear? What would be your response? If someone comes up to you, and I do this to many people just to see what they will say, I say, who are you? We normally identify ourselves with some kind of vocation. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician, I'm a carpenter, I'm a whatever. I didn't ask you what you did. I said, who are you? Well, Paul deals with that today in our passages. We deal with the issue of citizenship. Now I'm going to tell you, I've had a lot of friends who were raised overseas and sometimes it caused difficulty for them. One guy I knew was raised in Africa and he had dual citizenship. But the problem came when he was about to turn 18, his parents made him come back to the United States because he would have had to serve in the army of the country in which he had lived his entire life. But he went on to tell me of the emotional difficulties it was when he came back to the United States. He said, my heart belonged to Africa. That's where I lived my whole life. But I knew I was a citizen of the United States and it caused him emotional turmoil inside as he realized where his heart was was different than where his citizenship was. Today, Paul wants us to make sure our heart is where our citizenship really is is. Who are you? Where are you a citizen? Now I must tell you there was a day and time when it meant a great deal to say I'm a citizen of the United States of America. It brought great respect across the world. That's no longer true. And I'm going to be honest with you and some of you can get mad at me and if you do get mad at me, you're just going to have to get over it. I'm not as proud to be an American as I used to be. 
it's becoming more and more difficult for me to say I am proud to be an American. Now, I still am. I'm as patriotic as any man or woman in this place. But I'm telling you, it's increasingly difficult for me to say those words. But we as believers are called upon to be very careful to know where our ultimate citizenship lies. So let's look at the text that Paul gives us, that God gives us under Paul's leadership as we see uh, under the Holy Spirit's leadership as Paul writes Philippians chapter 3 verses 17 through 21. Now we're coming back to Philippians. Yes, we spent forever and ever on the gospel of John. We took a brief time where I went through the first couple of chapters of Philippians, finished up around Easter time and after, finished up the gospel of John, and uh, I hope that was a blessing to you. It was to me. It took almost two years for us to get through the gospel of John, but we come back this morning to the third chapter of Philippians. Again, my favorite New Testament book, it, at least it is today. So, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Paul says, Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again, how with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're in this destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. If you're a note taker, write down, this is America today. If you want to know where we are culturally, this is where we are today. It's described powerfully there in verse 19. They are focused on earthly things. But... What did I tell you that African-American pastor said? That's the divine conjunction. It changes everything. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of what? Of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to himself. Paul deals in this short text with the dilemma of being a dweller on earth but a citizen in heaven. The dilemma of being a dweller on earth while at the same time being a citizen of heaven. Now Philippi was not like some of the other cities in Asia Minor because it was a Roman colony. What was a Roman colony? It was like someone had transplanted a portion of Rome somewhere else and set it down in another country. A Roman colony was different than other Asian cities because it looked like Rome. The architecture was similar to Rome. The food was Roman. They spoke Latin. It was a little bit of home transported somewhere else. And if you were born within that city, you were born a Roman citizen. You might be in another country, but it was an outpost of home, Rome, right where you were. So Paul is speaking to people in Philippi who understand what it is 
to dwell in one place, but be a citizen of another place. So they were in a Roman colony, but they were citizens of their other country. And so he is relating that spiritually to where we are. That we are living in one place, but citizens of another place. No resident takes lightly their citizenship. No Christian should take lightly their ultimate citizenship. And he calls us to have a proper perspective of where we are. Let's look at it carefully. Quick three things this morning. I won't uh, keep you several hours, Brother Kevin, but I want you to listen while you are here. First of all, be mindful of the example we follow. Look at verse 17. Paul says, I want you to follow my example. And he says in the latter part of that verse, the example of others who are doing the right thing. Be mindful of the example that we follow. In fact, Paul here is saying, I am trying to set an example of the self-emptied life, of the life that lives for Christ, the life that is Christ-controlled. He is saying, I want you to imitate what I have done of how I've tried to empty myself and live unto Christ. I want you to follow that example. He was telling them, I want you to reject self-sufficiency. And I want you to be willing to sacrifice. I want you to have a clear sense of your own imperfections. And I want you to have a clear sense of morality in your life. He said, I want you to imitate how I strain toward heaven. I want you to do that. Now, he was not just speaking of himself. In the latter part of verse 17, he says, and others who are giving you a good example. And he was probably referring to both Timothy and Epaphroditus as wonderful examples of the Christian walk. Oh, my friends, unlike some other whose lives contradict their faith, he is saying, follow those whose lives support the Christian faith. One writer was telling of a Vermont governor years ago who was on the airwaves of Vermont promoting Vermont as the place where you ought to vacation. And he was saying it has everything you'd ever want. But at the time the first ad came out, he was vacationing in the West Indies in the Caribbean. Well, that didn't go over real well. Well, does your life support what you say? Does your belief and your behavior coincide? Is your duty and your doctrine coinciding? He is saying, I want you to follow those who are leading you in the right direction. And he would say, we must be mindful of the example we really ought to follow. And that is the example of Jesus Christ. He would always point to Christ. For Christ is the one who truly emptied himself. Be mindful of who you are following. Be mindful of the example and we know Paul would have pointed to Christ. 1 Peter 2.21 is another great scripture verse. And what does it say? It says, you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow. I ask you today, who are you following? Who are you listening to? Who is the one that you want to be like? Well, I'll say it in just a moment. It bothers me deeply to see what our culture has done to our young people, 
to our, our collegiate persons and to young adults. It has gotten into every area of society to say this is what you ought to believe and this is where you ought to go. And I challenge you today, who are you listening to? Who are you watching? Who are you following? Paul says, follow those who will point to Christ. Christ left us an example to follow. That is the phrase that used in that great book of yesteryear that was the greatest selling book ever in history besides the Bible. In his steps. Follow in his head. Why? Because he left us an example to follow. Oh, there's some great sports people. I'm surprised. Sometimes when a sports person dies, you would have thought that the greatest human on the face of the earth died. And I got to tell you, most of them aren't. Now, they may play basketball real good. They may play football real good. But I hope you're not following them in the matters of life that really matter. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you want to be like. Be mindful of the example that you follow. Second, let's be constantly mindful and aware of the life that destroys. In verses 18 and 19, Paul speaks some very powerful and frightening to me words. In fact, he really lays out a case study of misplaced loyalties and skewed perspectives. First, look at the condition of this kind of life that destroys. What does he say in verse 18? It is false. It is full of false pretense. And those who follow this way are enemies of the gospel. He says in tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That is the condition of our world. It is an enemy to Christ. There was a day and time, even in my lifetime, when culture promoted people toward the way of the Lord. But that is no longer true. No longer in any shape, form, or fashion does our culture push you toward the truth. Not only look at its condition, look at its characteristics. Now he goes into detail. Look at the characteristics. Not only is the condition an enemy of Christ, but what are the characteristics of this kind of enemy lifestyle and mindset? Well, first of all, he says their God is what? Their stomach. In other words, they live to gratify the flesh. A kind of hedonism that we know was a part of Greek philosophy and Greek culture at a time. And the Romans were not much better. But this has taken a whole new world in our 21st century environment. Their, their whole appetite was their master. It is the sum total. Do what feels best to you. And don't let anybody judge you when you're doing what you want to do. You see, that's been the great retort in the 21st century. Don't judge me. You're judging me. First of all, what in the world does that even mean? You're putting me down. No, but the Word of God does. We talked about it Wednesday night. Loving the sinner, hating the sin. Friends, in the 21st century, there is no sin. 
You do what you want to do when you want to do it. And nobody has the right to tell you any different. Their glory, look at the next characteristic. Their glory is their shame. Their pride, the pride not was, it is in that which should have caused shame. Let me tell you, I've done wrong in my life, and you have too. And it causes shame. But in the 21st century, there is no shame. Just 20 years ago, the God of this age was tolerance, but that's gone. No, no now the God of this age is control. And you must speak and believe what the culture says you must speak and believe. It's not just a matter of being tolerant anymore. That's long gone. Now you must do and think what this world says. And so our culture has insidious, assiduously, with an A, inculcated itself into every level of training and teaching. And the ultimate goal is the souls of your children and our grandchildren. I worry, worry, worry. Dale and I have talked about it so many times to see what our grandchildren are going to have to grow up seeing as normal, seeing as okay, seeing as promoted as that which they should look toward. And it breaks our heart. Paul said, I speak about this in tears. Mark my word. These are, this culture boasts in what should cause shame. But there is no shame anymore. Because everything is okay if the culture says it's okay. And you dare. You dare. Read or believe the word of God. No moral restraints. That's the characteristic. Their glory is in their thing. Third, really the bottom line is their mind is set on earthly things. They are focused on earthly things. Concentrated on the temporal. Concentrated on the material. Concentrated on this life and living in this culture. The only concern is what makes me feel good now. That's the characteristic of a world and a life and an enemy that destroys. And in our public schools and our public, co now my kids graduate, some of them graduated from a public school. I'm, if you're working at a public school, you're a missionary. You're a missionary. But this mindset has gotten a hold of our universities. Particularly the journalism schools has had, it's had their hearts and minds for decades. So that that which you hear is coming from a mindset that has its mind on earthly things. What is the culmination of this kind of enemy? What is the culmination of this kind of life? Paul says the end is destruction. Verse 19, their end is destruction. This is where it all leads toward waste, a ruin, perdition. Paul dealt with a group of people called the antinomians. 
And that literally means in Latin, uh, against the law. It was a group of people who had heard gospel preachers talk about freedom in the Lord. The liberty of the gospel. And Paul preached that. That in Christ you're free. And you are. But they had taken that to mean that they could live any way they wanted to. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. And I told you before that old preacher who was once arguing with a young man, he said, listen. This young man said, listen, if I was like you crazy Baptist, I'd get saved and then I'd go sin all I wanted to. Once saved, always saved. So I can't be unsaved, right? The old preacher said, son, you got it all wrong. You see, when God truly saves you, he changes your want to. He changes what you want to do. And it becomes different. Oh, my friends, there are those whose conduct was an open scandal and they confuse Christian liberty with lawlessness. We must never do that. We must never live according to the lust of the flesh, the pride of this life, yet claim citizenship in heaven. Look at me. This is serious business. There is an enemy and it leads to destruction. One Christian writer said, one reason why we are always wanting to accept the standards of this world is that we want non-believers to know that Christians can be stylish, socially acceptable, and fun-loving. And I would say we want lost people to think we're cool. In our desire to make Christianity attractive, however, we rarely win men and women to Christ as we might hope. Instead, we demonstrate to the non-believer there's nothing unique about the Christian. And before long, we find ourselves embracing a socially acceptable, watered-down, dull habit form of Christianity. God help us. God help us. God help us. But third and last, be mindful of the victory that awaits. Be mindful. Maybe Paul knew that we were getting depressed in those verses. So he said, but you got to keep your perspective of your citizenship in mind. Remember where you ultimately belong. This is why people on the outside will not understand. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus. He will transform the body of our humble condition in the likeness of His glorious body by the power which enables Him to subject everything unto Himself. This victory that awaits, first of all, involves the return of Christ. We are people who wait. One old writer said that's why we have one hand on the plow and one eye on the sky. Now, I can't make my eyes do that real good. My granddaughter could cross her eyes, but to keep one here, one there, but you know what it's saying. You're constantly aware that someday Jesus is going to rip open that eastern sky. He's coming back. And that must always keep us cognizant of where we really belong. The life that awaits, the victory that awaits, first of all involves the return of our Savior. Now in a Roman colony, by the way, you know what the biggest thing could ever happen in a Roman colony? When the Roman emperor would come and make a visit. Woo, did they party hard. They put out all, they cleaned everything up because the emperor is coming. And they might get to see the emperor once in a lifetime. 
Someday Jesus is coming back. He's tarried a long time, but someday Jesus is coming back. Remember that. Don't forget that. When you're tempted to believe this world is the only thing that really matters, Jesus is coming. And the life that awaits reminds us of the Savior's return. It also reminds us of the glorious resurrection of Christ where we're going to be transformed from our humble conditions into the, what He looked like and what He is like in His resurrected state. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, I've seen some of you and you need to be transformed into something. <laughs> Woo! Speaking about myself. But last, it includes now the life that is being transformed. Because you see, by the power of this resurrection and this transformation, he has everything subject unto himself. And that means that those who are followers of Christ are being transformed daily into a whole different set of values. Why I love that gospel song, that precious song. Amazing grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. The last verse tells us about this verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less day to sing God's grace than when He first begun. Oh, my goodness. William James, one of the great early He's called the father of American psychology. He said, religion can exist in our lives as a dull habit or an acute fever. What is it for you? A dull habit, checking the box, or an acute fever that says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but thank God now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I want us to be on fire for Christ. I want us to see that amazing grace is applicable in everyday life. I want you to say a couple of statements with me. They'll be on the board. I ask you, where is your citizenship? And I ask you, is there evidence of your allegiance? I pray the answer is I know exactly where I belong. And I need to keep my focus on the things above. And I pray that there will be more and more evidence of my allegiance every day that I live. Because of his amazing grace. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this powerful word today. Powerful because it comes straight from the Holy Spirit of God. Powerful because it speaks the truth about where we are in our culture. And where we need to be in our culture. Lord powerful because it gives us hope. That there is a better world coming. Hope. That we can be transformed even now. And I pray we would be. We ask this prayer. 
in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen.